Hello, Gray Matters community. Charmaine here. Welcome to the first episode of 2024. Wow. I just have to pause after 2024. I'm going to try to not say this every year. Um, you know, but yeah, here we are another year. Um, and it's 2024. Okay. I've said it. I'm done. Um, I hope that you had a very restful and revitalizing, joyful, rejuvenating, maybe that's the word I'm looking for, um, end of 2023. And I hope that 2024 continues that for you and brings you all the good things. Um, not just you, but collectively we need, we need some good things. Um, yeah. Okay. Maybe that sounded a little woo. We're a little woo here. Maybe not that much, but yeah, that's fine. So yeah, I hope that this new year will bring us lots of joy. Um, it feels strange to say happy new year. Um, I have been saying it, not that I, I have not, but it just feels strange to open everything with happy new year. It's like happy new year, but, or happy new year asterisks. There's a caveat. I mean, there's so much horror that continues to unfold globally. Um, and of course, you know, we're keeping those people in mind and continuing our resistance and activism. We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but I want to start with that and just kind of taking that moment to acknowledge all of the terrible things that are going on, um, specifically continue to happen in Gaza in Sudan and Congo and Syria and Yemen in so many different parts of the world, um, that really require our attention. So I want to take a moment and acknowledge that. Also, as we kind of get into the new year, there's always, I think, this conversation that happens in, I think it happens in the zeitgeist and and it just, I always seem to, you know, I think a lot of us, I don't think it's unique to me, but a lot of us get, you know, we get bombarded with those New Year's resolution messages and, um, you know, like, and I just mean messaging overall around like New Year, New Me, New Year's resolutions. So, you know, around this time of year, I'm often thinking about what that means, right? What is this new year? Thinking about the culture of resolutions. Um, and then also, you know, how it's so counterproductive to nature, especially with, um, I saw a video recently about, which I knew this, but it was a nice reminder that, um, you know, this new year calendar was set, uh, I believe it was about 500 years ago. And, you know, it's not really a natural time for us, like within nature and as humans and circadian rhythm, to kind of celebrate a new year because we're still very much around the world, like in the depths of winter. So it's very much a time for like fostering and hibernation and, and like still kind of um, being cozy, right? That's all the things that are kind of associated with winter time, um, specifically within the Northern Hemisphere. Um, and the real kind of new year comes around during springtime because that's when, you know, we've kind of like recovered from the winter. Of course you have like harvests and all, wait, is harvest fall? Okay. It's not going so well, but you know, like spring is sprung, right? That kind of thing happens. So we start to see things come back to life and humans, we are part of nature. So I think we kind of like mimic that, right? So I've been thinking a lot about that this year as well, and just what we need to do to take care of ourselves. So if you are feeling overwhelmed by the culture and, and the messaging of resolutions, um, please keep that in mind and have uh, empathy and grace with yourself. Um, 
I won't go too far into that. We did a um, a New Year episode. We called it New Year Say Me, where we talk more about like resolutions and things like that. That was episode 76. So go back and listen to that. Um, so I won't get too much into that. But I, I have been thinking a lot about, um, like I said, and like what that means and, and what taking care of the self looks like. Um, in a lot of ways, today's conversation kind of connects to the previous episode's conversation that we had. So um, if you have not listened to that one, you know, of course, please go back and listen to that as well. But if you're listening to these in order, uh, I think it does have a nice flow to them, hopefully. Um, I've also heard a lot this year about like ins and outs where people are saying like, this is in and this is out. Um, and I really like that. I like that messaging. Um, I've been trying to find different things that resonate with me. I know a couple of years ago, I heard about people saying that like they would pick a, a word, right? And that would be like their word to start the new year. I don't know if that was like their word of the year, um, but it was the word that kind of like gave them structure or uh, gave them inspiration. Um, that didn't work so well for me. I don't know. I'm not like a, it, it was like a, it ended up being more like a sentence. It was really hard for me to pick one word, um, but I like this kind of in and out. So um, I'm thinking about it like in the new year, there's also like this kind of quick burnout with resolution culture, right? Because it can be very easy to feel burnt out. So um, I also want to like dismantle that idea. Um, and I say burnout, not in terms of like complete burnout, but like those resolutions often do burn out. Um, and this video that I was watching that was talking about, I think it was the same one that was talking about um, kind of like how this Gregorian calendar is counter productive and counterintuitive to human nature and nature as a whole. I think it was that same video where they talked about how, um, that's why like most resolutions don't last. Um, because they, you know, oftentimes like it's like a very short lifespan, but really if you start things in the springtime, they're more likely to, to stick. I don't know the science behind that, but if that gives you inspiration, do with that what you will. Um, but keeping that in mind, I kind of want to think about like what we talked about last episode, what I discussed, um, like how to sustain the momentum for any project. Right. And I think a big aspect of that is self-care. So, um, like what does self-care mean? What does it look like? We've talked about self-care throughout a few episodes, um, throughout the, the entire podcast, but I was kind of thinking about it, like, you know, in for 2024, nurturing ourselves and our communities, collective liberation is in, out is burnout. So what, like burnout in the true sense of burnout, also burnout for like short-term resolutions and things like that, just feeling burnt out um, and individualism. So those are kind of my ins and my outs. See what I mean by, by buzzwords It's or like words? I, I don't do great with them, right? Like I have an explanation for everything. Um, my scholar really comes out. So I want us to think about these things. What does nurturing ourselves look like? What does nurturing communities look look like? Um, collective liberation. I think that's you know something I want to take with me. I guess if I had to pick a word, that would be a good one, right? Like thinking about collective liberation, um, and how we are not free and no one is free until we all are free, um, and that our liberations are intrinsically connected. That's you know that kind of idea of collective liberation. So I want us to think about that and what that looks like and how we can um, 
sustain that momentum for this new year. As we have this conversation around New Year's resolutions or ins and outs, whatever you want to call it, I know that wellness is something that's on a lot of our minds. So something that has been helping my overall wellness that I'm taking into 2024 with me is called Magic Mind. And I love these little magic green shots, as I like to call them. You've heard me talk about them before. So I want to remind you about these again, as a lot of y'all think about what your wellness looks like in this new season. And in true gray matters fashion, you know, I don't like to steer you wrong. I want to tell you like it is. What I really love about these is they contain good for you, natural ingredients. So you have things like ashwagandha, mushrooms, matcha. So you're getting that natural caffeine from matcha. Um, and so because of that, I feel like you're not getting any of those weird side effects, no afternoon slumps, not any of that other stuff that kind of happens with these so-called quote unquote energy supplements. I also like them because as you know, I love my cup of coffee in the morning. So I still have that ritual cup of coffee. Um, I usually have it a little bit after I have my magic mind shots and I've noticed the days I take magic mind that brain fog is lifted. I have more energy throughout the day and I am just an, an overall better headspace. So try magic mind for yourself. Go to our link magicmind.com slash gray. You know, it's great with an A for an exclusive discount. You get 56% off your first subscription or 20% off your first order. This is a limited time offer. So go to magicmind.com slash gray to order yours today. I'm also thinking about the word wellness and like kind of the structure of the wellness industry and self-care um, and kind of what that means within like outside of that context of consumerism, um, because wellness can be so many things, right? Like wellness is like breaking it down at its root, like being well, taking care of ourselves. Um, and so I came across something that I thought about including it in my most previous episode in the sustaining activism episode that was released just before this one. Um, it is episode, I'll give you actually an exact number. 105, because this will be episode 106. Um, but I wanted to kind of keep this separate for another episode. Um, I also thought about doing an unbook club about this. So if you want me to get into this a little bit more, um, I can do a separate episode on that, but I really wanted to highlight, um, this book and a lot of the concepts that are discussed in this book. So the book I'm talking about is called Take Care of Yourself, The Arts and Cultures of Care and Liberation by Sundus Abdulhadi. And I picked this up um, when I was at the um, book stall, I guess like book exhibition of the Middle Eastern Studies Conference in uh, Montreal just this past year, in November 2023. Um, they had just, I mean, it was one of the biggest uh, book exhibitions I've seen. It was amazing. Um, but I really was drawn to this book. I was actually looking for, it was just perusing with nothing really in mind, just kind of looking to see what they had and what caught my interest and kind of piqued my interest connect and like connecting it to my, um, my research. Um, and also looking for things that I could read on my way back. I would like to take advantage of travel time, um, and read. So yeah, as I'm perusing, I come across a stall that had a lot of these types of books. And so, or like small enough, 
types because you can't see the book. This is an audio, audio medium, duh. Um, if I can get that word out, uh, but it's 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 a short book, not too like intensive, and it seems like a you know like a very accessible, nice read to have. Um, I didn't want anything super heavy. I just wanted something kind of light. Um, so I have not made it through this book. Truthfully, I'm a little bit more than halfway done. Yeah, I just I have a yeah a little bit more than halfway done. I would say, but I think this is such a powerful text. Um, I think so many people like anybody could find um, like you could find this useful and could find this as like a really important text, um, and source of inspiration. Um, so I want to talk about this book because thinking about this in the context of this conversation, um, I wanted to, I wanted to really spend some time thinking about self-care through art, um, especially like with the burden of domestic and global events, that have been happening around us, um, and increasingly so where it feels, you know, there's like a, a lot of conversations happening around like this collective burden that so many of us feel, um, and how it just seems to increase every, like, it seems like daily, there's something more, right. That we're like concerned about. There's something globally, domestically, locally, whatever it may be happening that is really taking a toll on our, on ourselves. And, um, what, we've always tried to do at Gray Matters is address these issues, right? No matter how uncomfortable and difficult they can be. So turning a blind eye or saying that, you know, I don't want to deal with this. It's too difficult is not an option, at least for me and with the Gray Matters ethos, it's not an option. So how do we address that then? Because just feeling overwhelmed and burdened is going to lead to burnout. And that is not productive for anyone, especially ourselves, right? Because at the end of the day, we still have to take care of ourselves. Um, we still have to continue the work. And that was what the sustaining activism episode, I was really trying to struggle with how do we like articulating, how do we do this work? How do we say sustain this momentum, especially when, you know, with we are going into and I'm recording this about three months of, you know, about 90 days is kind of close to where we're at. Um, of this current situation in Gaza, right? Like, and this is just current. So we're not talking about the past 75 years of occupation, but like, how do we maintain this? How do we continue to do this work without feeling hopeless and, and still recognizing that we need to take care of ourselves. We need to go through life. We have to get groceries, especially like for those of us that don't live anywhere near Gaza, like you're, we have to get groceries. We have to continue with life. We have to cook dinner. We have to take care of our families. We have to put smiles on our faces, even if we don't feel like that on the inside, or we feel guilty for that. Um, it's important to recognize it, but also like, how do we continue while also doing this work? How do we continue living? How do we continue thriving while doing this work? Um, and I said thriving instead of surviving intentionally. So I think this book was really wonderful. So um, from what I understand and the the little research that I've done, I didn't do um, a ton of research into uh, Sundas Abdulhadi herself, but from what I understand, she is an artist and um, a lot of her work, and she, you know, has a lot of messages and themes around liberation and um, uh, addresses important issues with her work as most artists do. Um, but I, I want to, I think what I'm going to do is pick a little bit of this book that um, has spoken to me and I think would be important for thinking about self-care um, and like what it means within 
um, as literally the title says, the art and cultures of care and liberation. So how so many of these things are like interconnected. Um, I promise I have an outline that I am going off of as I always do for our episodes, but this one, I'm like kind of veering a little bit off of that line. And again, if you all want me to do an unbook club episode where I really delve into the text itself, um, please let me know. And I'm happy to do that. Or even if there's like another one that is, you know, piques your interest, um, I'm happy to do that as well. But, um, I have a lot of different things that, um, I have like flagged in this text so, so far, but, um, what I really appreciate is, uh, Sundas Abdelhadi, um, talks about, not only her work as an artist, but also as like a, a curator of exhibits. And um, in this part of her book here, she says, where she's talking about selecting works for an exhibit. She says, my curatorial approach was rooted in how the works can be interpreted in the context of self-care, struggle, decolonizing, the creation of new narratives, and ultimately their potential to heal and to empower. Um, I really like resonated with this because um I think so many of us who lean on art and cultural things like art and music and um, different aspects of, of creative outlets, um, we find, especially especially within a like consumerist society and within like an American capitalist society, increasingly there's kind of this need to um, differentiate or this need to um, kind of like divorce the art from politics, right? It's like, oh, well, I don't, and I hear this a lot within the comedy circuit, um, where it's like, oh, well, you know, comedy is not good if it's political or whatever, right? And and this happens a lot within different, like, pop culture um, formats. Um, but I think for so many of us that look to art or in, engage in some form of art or creative work, um, as not only a form of like self-care or as a creative outlet or as some kind of um, like wellness activity, we also go to it for community um, and to kind of engage in these conversations. So to engage in like this collective, like how do we work with this within this collective liberation, right? Um, I hope I'm making sense in how I'm saying that, but um, you know, we, we, want to see works that address these difficult conversations, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So we want to see work that is political. We want to see work that actively engages in decolonization, that actively engages in addressing oppressive regimes and regimes and, 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 and like uh, highlights injustice, right? I think that is why art is so powerful. And that is why um, also art in different forms of like creative writing and things like that are censored because they have power. They have um, this kind of like collective bargaining method where it recruits people to a cause. It entices them. It motivates them. It inspires them, right? Um, and it brings hope and joy also. It can bring a lot of emotions. Sometimes you can see something like a movie, you know, sometimes a movie can highlight an issue and it can be something that's difficult and you may feel angry or sad or upset. Um, but I think if it's done, I, I say well with a caveat because I think that's subjective, but I think if it's, it has like an intended purpose of being whatever it may be political or, um, subversive, 
just, you know, discursive, whatever it may be, um, then the viewer leaves or I'm, I'm thinking leaves, like leaves after they're watching a movie or, you know, while they're engaging in it, if you're like looking at an art piece or an exhibition or whatever it may be, you feel all those feelings. So you may also, you may still feel angry and hopeless, but then you may feel that hopelessness may turn into inspiration or that anger may turn into motivation. Um, so it's really about kind of like being able to connect with work and con also these places um, become places of community. So, you know, there's a reason why, you know, artists who create similar works or political works are often drawn to each other um, because that is a community and there is like a point of connecting there. Um, Sunda Subdil Hadi also talks about how creating artwork um, was a journey for her and in a way for her to um, not only like create work that was on sensitive, like, you know, has the sensitive nature of certain topics, like, you know, that talks about struggles and trauma and things like that. And it was a way for her to, um, enact self-care, like almost a, a way for her to, um, you know, th therapy, that's not the right word. Um, almost like a form of therapy. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, a form of therapy for her to, um, like, create this work to showcase trauma, um, not showcase, but to, to like, to create something that is like, you know, this is a traumatic thing that has happened. This is what I'm going through. So that can be a form of therapy, um, as well. Uh, for many artists it is. And I think in, in many of Abdul Hadi's work, she, uh, talks about that as well. Um, she also talks about writing, which I think is really important. We talk a lot about writing as well and um, engaging in creative writing. And we've had a lot of different podcast episodes about this. And uh, one that particularly comes to mind, I think is from way back when in season one, um, we had the um, episode on social justice writing with Emmy Perez, uh, who is the Texas Nobel Laureate and um, also Texas Poet Laureate, excuse me, and also teaches um, creative writing. Let's see if I can find it for you quickly. What episode number that was. Um, so we talk a lot about writing, right. And the significance of, of creative writing and what that means. And for so many artists, there doesn't have to be one medium of self-care, right. Um, there doesn't have to be one way that you engage in something. Um, this was a special bonus episode. Yes. Yeah, special bonus episode from season one released on July 20th, 2020. So I had to find that and that to you. So if you're interested, please, uh, uh, listen to that episode. Um, but I encourage you as well. Like if you need to, to not censor yourself, if you need to engage in some kind of creative work, to not censor yourself while you're doing that. So this is something I have actively tried to like dismantle from my own work is like not thinking about like, oh, this is bad poetry or this is bad art or whatever. Like those words don't matter. Those words are subjective. Just do it, just create. And I think that is so powerful. That has been powerful for me. And I think it can be powerful for other people as well. Um, but on page 28, Abdul Hadi says, throughout the process of writing, I have struggles with having to use certain words prescribed to my experience by the English language. 
For example, marginal or marginalized literally translates to of secondary or of minor importance, not central. I do not subscribe to this description of my people or my identity. Similarly, words like people of color, despite being reclaimed in recent generations as an empowering term, still implicitly refers to whiteness and do words like visible, minority, othered, and radicalized. If and when I do choose to use words like marginalized, colonized, or radicalized, it is in reference to the experience of being marginalized, colonized, or radicalized, a position that is of utmost importance and central to this book. So I love that part right there because not only does she talk about writing, but it um, explains so much of her positionality and what she intends to accomplish with this book. Um, so I think it's really important to think about as well, like what words do we choose to use? Um, chapter two she has is called decolonizing care. And it's really thinking about what, again, care looks like with in the face of collective liberation, what it looks like in the face of, of capitalism, um, what it looks like to engage in um, work that can be deemed as sensitive and political and is often sensitive and political. But when it's often deemed that way, it's done so to like shut down the conversation or to have a very specific skewed viewpoint of the conversation. And she's saying, you know, like, how do we, how do we talk, how do we address that? How do we dismantle that? Um, so yeah, this, it's just, it's like chock full of so many wonderful anecdotes. Um, she talks about, um, an instance where, um, you know, different instances, actually, I should say, where she has found collective liberation and community in places that um, were not maybe originally intended as such. Um, she talks about the role of the artist as well, um, where she says on page 42, artists for generations have found themselves on the front lines for the struggle of liberation. Driven by the people's stories and their own, many artists have engaged with the concepts of community care and empowerment. Freedom of expression becomes something worth fighting for. Um, and so as I read this, I'm reminded too of the importance of like freedom of the press, right? And how even that conversation is so skewed and what we are allowed to consume what we are like told is correct information. Um, and you know how that kind of conversation is framed. That is like a different conversation for another podcast episode, but it just reading that reminds me of, you know, the importance for, um, like truthful journalism. Um, I wouldn't even say unbiased because I think there everything has a bias. And I don't think that inherently is a bad thing. I know that in the West, we've often been told that like, you know, journalism needs to be unbiased, but within the West and within Western journalism, and I think this happens across a lot of different fields, even within like political works, or, or I'm sorry, within um, creative works and, and artwork, like what is deemed political or what is deemed unbiased, um, or by that extension bias is based on the Western interpretation of that. So it's like, you know, oh, well we're unbiased, but the, the, I like, it's only like, well, your mainstream media, you hear this a lot, you know, or like on CNN or MSNBC, especially like MSNBC or like even like PBS, it's like, oh, we are unbiased. But as we have seen by coverage of very recent events, there is a bias there and failure to acknowledge that bias is what is harmful. Whereas just acknowledging that bias and saying, this is our position, but we are going to try to give you this whole story is I think much more productive, if that makes sense. Maybe productive is not the right term, but, um, you know, I think it's, yeah, 
I think it can be productive. Um, and so in many ways, I think that that is why, like, I also think about it in terms of like wellness and self-care kind of continuing it or bringing it back to our original conversation. Um, like I encourage you to feel okay with being biased. I think that when that bias is inherently negative, then it is important to address that and to think about what that means. And if that bias has negative implications for others and other, and especially others that are not like you, then of course that is important to address. Um, but I do encourage you to create work, right. To create, um, to, to express your artistic expressions and to think about what, um, what that looks like. Um, I'm just, I'm looking through her book and thinking about, um, what else I want to tell y'all because there's so much, I wish I could just like read like every page of this to you. Um, uh, chapter four is called curating care. And I think that's really important because she talks about curating care in a few different ways. Um, and particularly through the lens of being an artist curator. Um, and of course, um, the very first excerpt I read about uh, selecting works for an exhibit was from this chapter. It's from page 108. Um, but she's thinking specifically about intentionality and what, you know, the inclusion of different works looks like, especially if you are an artist or involved at all within like artist circles, you may be very well aware of the bias that happens against certain artists and the displaying of certain artwork. Um, we are certainly, it's a very relevant conversation seeing that around, um, you know, the use of watermelon and different, um, memorabilia that has been affiliated with, um, Palestine and the Palestinian people and the Palestinian liberation struggle. Um, and so we see again, how powerful art is and how, um, oftentimes art can be very difficult as well. So as I think about, I think it's really interesting that, um, Sundas Abdelhadi talks about art and cultures of care and liberation in this book and specifically ties it into taking care of the self and what self-care and wellness look like, because oftentimes art is very difficult. It is like I was telling you, saying earlier, right? Like it's difficult to, to, to view, to partake in. Um, oftentimes it's very difficult for the artist to create those works. There's like a, a sort of transformation or a, you know, pain that happens when, they are creating certain works, whatever that may be, whether it's like paintings or sketches or sculpture or, um, performative, you know, performance art or, um, creative writing, poetry, whatever it may be. There's so many different artworks, right? They're not always easy. It's not always a therapeutic process. Art therapy is something that is very important, but not every art is a form of therapy, right? Um, it can be very difficult. It can be very arduous. Um, so that is important to, to keep in mind, but that does not mean that it cannot be um, a form of self-care, that it, it that it is inherently not a form of wellness, because I think it can be. And for a lot of us, partaking in that art is very much a form of wellness, is very much a form of self-care, is very much a way for us to connect to one another and think about what collective liberation looks like and, by extension, what collective self-care looks like. Um, because I think that's really important as well. We, part of like taking care of ourselves is like taking care of our communities, right? Because are you really, how well are you doing if everyone in your community, whatever that community may look like to you is not doing so well. You may have some good days, but you're probably not, you know, 
doing great, right? Like I think self-care goes so far beyond just the surface and like getting a good night, good night's sleep or like, you know, doing a quick yoga session or whatever it may be. Those are all aspects of self-care, but those are not inherently just self-care in a, like they're not whole and complete by themselves, right? There's a lot of different aspects of it. And I think the more that we come together as communities, um, we are able to kind of partake in that on a, on a broader scale. So yes, it is very important to take care of ourselves and it is very important to take care of each other in whatever way, maybe not whatever way, but like there are many different ways to do that work. Um, and I think like supporting each other, dismantling our own negative biases, um, supporting liberation, um, addressing causes, engaging in activism in whatever way we choose to do it. I think all of these things are so important as a form of like community self-care. Um, yeah, I think it's a conversation we're going to continue to have because I have so many more thoughts on this. And I just, every time I talk about wellness and self-care, I say, I'm not going to talk about the kind of commodification of it, but it's so inherent. It's so intrinsically tied into it that I think it has to be addressed. Like, yeah, I, I think it just, there is an importance in being like, okay, one, like, you know, I feel like workplaces do this a lot. Like one, you know, like free yoga session at the start of the year is not going to be like what is going to hold over your workers or, or give them like self, you know, that's not self-care. Like it can be in the moment, but, um, it takes a lot more, right? It has to be something that you want to do. There has to be intentionality there. There's there's a lot involved. So I encourage you to think about self-care and wellness for yourself um, in the many different ways that you can partake in it and to get creative, to think about, you know, again, outside of like the consumerist way that we have been taught self-care, um, like what does it look like outside of that? Um I encourage that. And then I encourage you to think about what it looks like in community. And I encourage you to think about what collective care and liberation look like. What does that mean? Um, and I'd love to hear from you about this because this is very much an ongoing conversation. And like I said, I had my outline and I covered most of my talking points, but um, I have so many different thoughts with this conversation. So I would love to hear how you partake in this. I would love to hear, um, I like, I want to do a call back to the previous episode, which I've been doing. So I'm going to continue to do that. But like, um, I would love to hear how you are sustaining your activism. Um, and yeah, how you are taking care of yourself, engaging in wellness, all of that good stuff. So, um, you know how to get in touch with us, you know, how to reach out to me. Um, just a kind reminder, uh, you know, this is the start of the year. Um, so in with another in, here's another in supporting, um, supporting those things that are really important to you, supporting those things that, um, bring you joy, bring you like, you know, any kind of support and relief and peace. Um, you know, whether that's like, you know, supporting that author who wrote that book or, um, to stay on theme, you know, that, that artist who did that piece, whether it's a podcast that you like to listen to. Um, so yeah, show them your support. Um, you know how to show us support. Um, 
you know, you know where to follow us. I will of course have an Instagram post about this episode. So leave your comments there as well. Again, like tell, tell me about your self-care. Tell me about how you're engaging in self-care with, um, for yourself and your family and your loved ones and your community. Um, and let's continue that conversation and yeah, until next time, stay safe and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening. We appreciate your support. You can continue to show your support by giving the podcast a five-star review, becoming a subscriber on Anchor, and following us on our website, graymatterstheblog.org, that's gray with an A, and on our socials, as well as sharing and commenting on our posts at Gray Matters the Blog on Instagram and TikTok. We want to connect with our Gray Matters community. If you have a comment or an inquiry about our customizable trainings and workshops, email us at graymatterstheblog at gmail.com. Stay safe, everyone, and we'll chat with you soon.